All right, this is week two after a long hiatus of the apologetics class. Um, if you remember, the first lesson we did was before the apologetics conference, and that was um, sort of what is apologetics and why do we do it. And so we saw that apologetics is a biblical concept, and uh, the three main reasons we do it, we do it, one, to reach unbelievers, to convince them of the truth of Christianity. Number two, to strengthen believers, because we all have doubts from time to time and need to be strengthened in our faith. And number three, to uh, shape the culture that we live in so that people can hear the gospel as a rationally viable option. So it's not just when you throw it out there, uh, it doesn't sound like a fairy tale. It sounds like something that people can really take seriously. So those are the three main points from the last lesson. Uh, this week we're going to be covering the topic life with or without God. We'll get into that in a second, but before we do, again, I'm going to be starting each class with a criticism that unbelievers or um, maybe people that just don't know Christianity might uh, toss at you. So the criticism for this week says, the unbeliever says, Christians are no better than anyone else. There are atheists who live better than a lot of Christians. In fact, some of the worst people I know are Christians. If Christianity is true, then why doesn't it make people act better? Okay, so we're not going to answer that right now. We'll answer that at the end, but just to let you stew on that for a little bit. Um, have any of you had a conversation with someone who just didn't care whether or not God existed or Christianity is true? Yeah, I think most of us have. Uh, it's a problem today that people are apathetic. Um, that's one of the biggest you know, obstacles we face today is not just being against Christianity or God, but people who just don't see the point in even addressing the question. They've lived their lives for years not even thinking about those questions. And so we as Christians think it's a life and death matter of eternity. And so we want to motivate their response to the question, what difference does it make whether or not God exists? Okay, we want them to think about that. And so we're going to get into that tonight. The first point, why should we care if God exists or not? If the atheist doesn't think that the world would be any different without God, then he's not going to care whether Christianity is true or not. Uh, so originally when I taught this class, it was called Faith with Muscles. So just a little, uh, a little title that gets people trying to you know, strengthen their, uh, their Christian faith. Um, but let's relate the question of God's existence to exercise. If you can't expect to get in shape or lose weight from working out, why would you do it? Would there be any point to exercise if you couldn't get stronger or lose weight or look better? Of course not. So similarly, we will see that if God does not exist, then life has no ultimate meaning and it's also useless. So the question is, what makes life worth living? Part B, there are three extremely important notions, meaning, value, and purpose. Meaning, value, and purpose.
A lot of the best philosophers today, both theist and atheist, that means those who believe in God and those who don't believe in God, they all agree that if God doesn't exist, then life is absurd. There is no objective meaning, value, or purpose without God. So there's, uh, there's a disconnect between what atheists really think about the logical conclusion of atheism and the atheists that don't really think about it at all. And so this particular lesson is directed towards those atheists who think that the question of God's existence doesn't really impact their lives. Um, letter, small letter B there, we need to know the difference between objective versus subjective. Objective versus subjective. So who can give me some examples of each? What is something that's objective and something that's subjective? Mr. Pridgen. A best sports team. Oh. Okay. Is that objective or subjective? Well, you got data and, and stats that would, you know, rely by line tell you what team is the best, but if you ask me, NC State's the best. Okay. So, what criteria are you using for best? What do you mean by best? I see. <laughs> So let's yeah let's take football for instance um, quarterback ratings okay what are those based on hard stats hard stats what they actually do in football games and so those are objective because your opinion of the football player doesn't change what the reality is of his gameplay you might think he's a jerk and yeah. hate his guts or something, right? Um, that might be your subjective opinion of his personality, but that doesn't change the hard facts, the objective facts of how he's played. So what's another example of objective versus subjective? I'm going back to NC State. Clemson is five and, uh, six and zero now. NC State is six and zero. Clemson's got to wake up. I don't know who NC State was. You got to wake up. You got to wake up. So when they come together the next time, Okay, there's a lot of stats. And there's going to be an odds, a difference in score. That's sort of objective. But he's going to be subjective about NC State, and I'm going to be subjective about Clemson. Okay. Okay? Okay. And objectively, Clemson is going to win. <laughs> and that might be true. <laughs> but you're still going to be subjective. <laughs> <laughs> right, so we're seeing some examples uh, that draw out the difference, right? Objective is something that is true independently of a particular person's view of it, right? Um, this building exists whether or not somebody can't see it way over there, um, whether or not you think it's a terrible building, whatever. Subjective is more like preference, right? It depends on the subject. All right. Um, so on atheism, um, there would be no objective meaning, value, or purpose. These would just be subjective things that depend on each individual person. Okay, um, And really they would be illusions, right? That would be make-believe. We would just be making our own meaning, value, and purpose. It's like playing pretend. Like, you know, money is actually playing pretend. It's pretending that these pieces of paper and these coins have some value to them when in reality they don't have any intrinsic value. We just pretend they do. Um, which is an interesting class in itself. Um, 
so, but yeah, it's, you know, if God doesn't exist, then all these things are just subjective. So the, the, the big problem is that illusions, no matter how desperately you want to cling to them, can't make those things real. Okay? It doesn't make it the case that if you just want there to be meaning, value, and purpose, if God doesn't exist, then you can have it. Okay? Um, so we've got this issue between objective and subjective that we're going to be wrestling with. Part C, the absurdity of life. It is a pretty clear datum of our experience that uh, there is death among all biological organisms, including man. Uh, that is the way of all bio biological organisms. The longest living organism that we know of right now is a type of coral that lives uh, or has lived for about 4,000 years. So that's a long time compared to humans, but in the scheme of things, that's just the blink of an eye. When you think about eternity or how old some people think that the universe is, uh, it's just a, a fraction. Um, so not only are all biological organisms heading towards death, but scientists believe that the very universe itself is heading towards death. Um, if you take a wind-up toy and you let it go, eventually it just fizzles out. It stops having the energy to keep going. Okay? That's the same thing that's happening with the universe. All of the usable energy that we have in the universe is actually winding down to the point where eventually all of the usable energy will be gone and will be at a state of what's called thermal equilibrium, which means nothing can happen, <laughs> basically. Um, so if you believe where the science is headed right now, you believe that the universe is actually headed to a point where nothing can survive, not even not humans, not anything. Uh, this is uh, a quote from On Guard, which by the way, um, the material that I'm getting is adapted from this book. It's called On Guard by William Lane Craig. Um, really fantastic beginner's book on apologetics, and right now it's available on Amazon for 99 cents. It's on sale, so very good. Um, but in there, Dr. Craig says, the universe too faces a death of its own. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding, and the galaxies are growing farther and farther apart. As it does so, it grows colder and colder as its energy is used up. Eventually, all the stars will burn out, and all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. There will be no light, there will be no heat, there will be no life. Only the corpses of dead stars and galaxies, ever expanding into the endless darkness and the cold recesses of space. A universe in ruins. No, this is in the book. I just took it out of the book. Um, so, without God, uh, there is no immortality, right? There's nothing to keep us alive if there is no God. And man has to face the threat of non being. Okay, and that's a huge thing when you get people thinking about the fact that they might cease to exist. A lot of people just don't think about it. Jean-Paul Sartre, who is a uh, French philosopher, atheist actually, uh, he admitted this. He said, several hours or several days makes no difference once you have lost eternity. Okay, this is somebody who really wrestled with the tough questions in life, and he was an atheist. And he came to the conclusion that it's true that if God doesn't exist, 
and we don't have Im immortality, then uh, it really doesn't make any difference how long you live. Which is why he eventually said the only real question in philosophy is whether or not to commit suicide. It's pretty grave, pretty grim. So part D, there are two requirements for meaning, value, and purpose. Number one is God. Number two is immortality. Part two, no ultimate meaning. So what is meaning? Well, meaning has to do with significance or why something matters. Part A, without God, actions and events only have significance relative to other actions and events. But what does really any of that mean if ultimately everything is doomed to destruction? Right? I mean, think about you know, anything that you build today. How long do you want it to last? You want it to last a really long time. But does it really matter how long it lasts if everything is just going to be gone in the end? So that's a really good point at which, you know, when you're in a conversation, you're talking about um, things that people find significant in their lives to say, okay, well, you know, how long do you want your legacy to last? Everybody wants to leave a legacy. Um, there were people that uh, were interviewed towards the end of their lives and, and they were asked the question, you know, um, what's the most important thing to you? And, you know, or what, what are the biggest regrets that you have? And a lot of people said, you know, um, nobody said, I wish they, I worked more. It was always, you know, I wish I had spent more time with my family. I wish I had left some type of legacy for the people behind me or that they, people would remember me. So everybody wants the, the impact of their lives to outlive them, okay? But according to, you know, what life without God would be like, none of us would have anything that outlived us for more than a generation or two. Um, certainly not surviving the end of the universe. So it's good to, in conversation, reiterate the destruction of the eventual destruction of man and the universe. But part B, notice that just having immortality really doesn't give meaning. Without God, our lives would be just as meaningless because we could still ask of life, so what? In fact, immortality without God would become mind-numbingly boring, right? Um, one would theoretically be stuck doing everything that's possible to do over and over again for eternity. Life would be an unending meaninglessness. So there's a thought experiment of uh, an astronaut, and he goes to the moon, and a spaceship breaks down, so he can't get back home. He's just stuck by himself on the moon, and he has two vials. One is a poison that will kill him, and one is a, an elixir that will give him immortality. And he thinks he's taking the poison, but he's actually ta he ta actually takes the one that, that makes him immortal. And so he's stuck on this rock, in the middle of space for all time. He's immortal, but he's just stuck there. Okay, that would basically be the end fate if we were immortal without God, right? You could do whatever it is you could do, but no more. And you'd be stuck doing that the same, the same thing over and over for eternity. Um, there's no real meaning to that, 
So the point of the story is you can have immortality, that still doesn't give you objective meaning, value, and purpose. Okay, part three, no ultimate value. Value has to do with good and evil, right and wrong. Good and evil, right and wrong. Part A. If life ends at the grave, it doesn't matter how you lived. Your ultimate destiny is the same if you lived a good life or a bad one. Hitler or Mother Teresa, Stalin or Martin Luther King Jr. It doesn't matter because if life ends at the grave, then it doesn't, it doesn't have any lasting impact. Everybody ends up the same. There is no transcendent moral accountability on that view, so you are answerable only to yourself. Right? There's nobody above you to say this is right or wrong, good or bad, if God doesn't exist. So why listen to anybody else when they say you should or shouldn't do that? You might as well live purely for self-interest. Uh, there was a writer named Fyodor Dostoevsky who said, if there is no immortality, then all things are permitted. Because, well, there is no moral accountability in the future. Um, he wrote an incredible piece called the Gulag Archipelago, which recounts some of the horrors that occurred under uh, Soviet rule in Russia. And uh, this part B here is taken from that, where he takes some um, testimony from uh, political prisoners under the Soviet Union, and they overheard their torturers talking, and a couple of them said these things. They said, uh, for instance, there is no God, no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do what we wish. And another said, I thank God in whom I don't believe that I have lived to this hour when I can express all the evil in my heart. Well, just incredible. And when you see people come to power without any sort of moral accountability above them, this is the type of thing that happens. Uh, and these aren't just extremely evil people. These are normal people. Uh, there's a book out uh, by an author named Browning called uh, Ordinary Men. And it's a book about the uh, execution squads that went around killing people during World War II, the German execution squads. And uh, they went through the records and they found that uh, a lot, uh, a large number of these people were just ordinary workers that were assigned to these death squads. And there wasn't anything particularly horrible about them. They just thought that they were doing their jobs. Um, they would have to liquor themselves up before doing it some of the times because it just revolted them so much. Um, but they got used to it. They became numb to it. So these aren't, you know, sometimes we think of Nazis or the people uh, who were, became Soviet torturers as, you know, having a particular inclination to evil. But that's not true. Um, they were just like the normal people that you work with every day. So, um, that's something to think about when you're talking to people who think, oh, well, this would never happen in our society. Um, it just hasn't been the historical case. Okay, 
Um, one of the common objections is um, that it is in our self-interest to adopt a moral lifestyle. Okay, you'll hear that a lot. Well, it's just, you know, it's evolutionary that we would want to adopt a moral lifestyle because that's what helps us thrive, right? Except that that's obviously not always true. We can think of instances where it's in our self-interest to not live a moral lifestyle. Uh, sacrificing our life for another would never be justifiable on that view, right? Because what do you benefit from sacrificing your life for someone? Right? Um, you're dead. You don't gain anything from it. So altruism would go out the window. Um, however, we hold soldiers and firefighters and policemen and civilian heroes uh, all in very high regard because they've given their lives for others. Uh, additionally, without God, one cannot even say that self-interest is good because there's no standard for it. What would differentiate between Dean over here saying, self, you know, uh, living, with, uh, living for self-interest is good, and Josh over here saying living for self-interest is not good? How would you differentiate between the two? Right? They're just giving their subjective opinions. There would be no objective truth of the matter without God, obviously. So part D, without God, there is no objective standard of right and wrong. All we have are valueless facts. The lion kills the zebra, but it doesn't murder it. The male shark forcibly copulates with a female shark, but doesn't rape it. Likewise, the human inflicts pain on the other human, but without God, it doesn't do anything really morally wrong. Part E. Anybody know who Richard Dawkins is? Heard of him? Yeah, he's, the, he's been called the Bishop of Atheism. Okay, he's an uh, evolutionary biologist from the UK. He, and this is a quote from him. He says, uh, There is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pointless indifference. We are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for being. That sounds pretty dark. Um, what's interesting here is that he says that there's no evil and no good, and yet in every book he's ever written about religion, he says that you know Christianity is evil or religion is evil. So uh, he'll say one thing on the one hand and contradict himself on, on the other. It's interesting, too, if he thinks that the only purpose for living is to propagate DNA, why does he even engage in these types of conversations? Yeah, yeah well, and two, where... Why are you studying anything? Well, and what's interesting is if that is an actual objective purpose, then the person who doesn't want to propagate their DNA is evil and wrong. But where does he get that standard of evil and wrong, right? Um, so he's assuming something there about the objectivity of our reason for being that he can't really ground. Okay, F. Without God, what is is true. And there can be no grounds for complaining about objectionable behavior. This is really powerful, guys. If you're in a conversation with someone who hasn't ever thought about morality or where it comes from, um, 
just pointing out to them the severe consequences, the price tag, as it were, for believing these things is huge. And we want to make that price tag for holding these beliefs as high as possible. Okay, you want to be an atheist. You want to hold on to that. You have to give up meaning. You have to give up value. You have to give up purpose. You can't say anything is objectively right or wrong. You can't say that uh, beating a, a, a a homosexual person to death be just because of their lifestyle is wrong. You can't say that uh, pedophile Catholic priests molesting children is objectively wrong. I mean, these are things that really hit at the heart of a lot of people's views on society and morality. So make them think about these things, and that's going to make a difference in whether they believe, you know, consider the question of God important or not. Okay, part four, no ultimate purpose. Purpose has to do with a goal or a reason for something. A goal. Part A, if death awaits everyone and everything, including the universe, then what purpose can there be for life at all? What goal can you make that lasts forever? And the writer of Ecclesiastes understood this well. Um, did I give you the the verse there? No. Um, somebody want to look that up real quick? Ecclesiastes. Let's go there. Ecclesiastes three. He wants to read 3, 19, and 20. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely, they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to dust. Yeah. Um, so the writer of Ecclesiastes is really wrestling with this question, what meaning, what purpose is there to life? And he's pursued all of these different goals in his life, and he just hasn't found any meaning in any of it. Um, and he sums up really well the pursuit of earthly purposes, uh, pleasure, wealth, education, fame, honor. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Right? He's done this. He's gone after all these things that we go after. And he's found that none of it has any real um, goal. Uh, it's not for anything. But then at the very end, obviously, he turns around and says, do it for God, right? Um, God gives it the purpose. All right, so part C. Uh, immortality alone would not give purpose. Okay, we would still, as biological creatures, be accidental byproducts of nature, if that indeed was the way that we arose without God. Um, we would be the blind result of matter plus time plus chance, the unwanted children of a heartless universe. 
we would have no objective purpose. But if God exists, then there is hope for man. Uh, if he does not, then we don't have anything left but despair. Right? If God exists and he created us, he could give us objective goals. He could give us what we are made for. Okay, just like um, the person who makes a computer gets to decide what that computer is for. God creating us, and as the standard for all things, is able to give us an objective purpose to our lives. As one writer put it, if God is dead, then man is dead too. Okay? So we've seen so far that without God and immortality, there's no ultimate meaning, value, and purpose. No significance, no real good and bad, right or wrong, and no real goal for our lives. Okay, but when you talk to an unbeliever, they will deny this often. They'll say, well, that sounds really terrible. I think we can have meaning, value, and purpose without God and immortality. So they'll just deny it. And... Uh, what you should do is say, well, there are atheists who agree with us. Right? That's really powerful. When you can get somebody from the other team to agree with you, right? that's really, really powerful. That's what lawyers try to do all the time. They try to get the other people to admit your side of things. Okay? So we've got Friedrich Nietzsche, who absolutely understood this. Um, he wrote a famous piece um, where he said, you know, God is dead. We have buried him. Um, what he meant was, we have basically come to believe that God doesn't exist and he saw the extremely serious consequences of that. He said, oh man, if God is dead, then anything goes. Like he understood that. Um, the ultimate response for most theists is to pretend the universe has meaning, value, and purpose. Okay, and lest you think this is just um, fantasy, there is a guy that actually said this. His name was Dr. L. D. Rue, and he called it the noble lie. He said, basically, if we are to survive as human societies, we need to pretend that there is meaning, value, and purpose in our lives. Um, that's pretty powerful. Part C, if the atheist is to live a life that faces the facts of existence without God, he must acknowledge a universe without meaning, value, or purpose. And so when we're in these conversations, guys, try to bring up these issues of meaning, value, and purpose so people who are apathetic, who don't really care whether or not God exists, realize the extreme consequences of their view. Okay, I had a... Uh, I was going through my, my master's degree in uh, international relations and conflict resolution, and one of my professors uh, actually, she gave us an assignment. She said, what's the root cause of conflict? That was the whole assignment. What's the root cause of conflict? I was like, that is very, that's very broad. So I started studying, um, you know, and I came to the conclusion, well, I think it has something to do with, uh, you know, different um, groups and individuals having different um, conceptions of morality, right? They have different standards, right? So if you don't think that that person is acting right or that they're justified in what they're doing, then obviously you're going to have conflict with them. And so we got in this conversation about morality and it came out, she, said, she actually said she did not believe that there was any such thing as objective morality. And so I said, okay, 
If you want to believe that, then you must also believe, if you're going to be consistent, that there's nothing objectively wrong with slavery. And this was on the internet on a message board in front of the whole class for them to see. And my professor said, that's right. I don't think there's anything objectively wrong with slavery. I mean, that's just incredible. But she was at least consistent. And I think if you draw that out with some people, they'll stop a little bit. They'll say, okay, there's some things that I don't want to say because I know that there's something wrong with them. Maybe I just don't see it right now, but I see where this path is leading me. Okay, so make them travel that path if they haven't done it already. Part six, Christianity. Saying that life would be absurd without God does not prove that God in fact exists. We have to admit that if God does not in fact exist, then life truly does not have meaning, value, or purpose. So if you're in a conversation and somebody says, if God doesn't, they admit, you know, what if God doesn't exist? We have to say, you're right, if God doesn't exist, then there would be no meaning, value, or purpose. Um, yeah. Uh, however, if Christianity is true, it provides the two conditions necessary to make life meaningful, valuable, and purposeful, which is God and immortality again. Right? It's part of Christianity that God exists and that God provides immortality. So, we have now established the absurdity of life without God. And now that we've done that, we can offer hope to the unbeliever by showing how Christianity succeeds where atheism or other religions without God and immortality fails. And we can then attempt to show how belief is more intellectually reasonable through apologetics. So we have taken someone out of apathy. We've shown them that the question of God's existence is actually worth looking at because without it, there is no meaning, value, or purpose in life. And now we're ready to step into the role and say, okay, now let's try and figure out whether or not God really does exist. And that's when, in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at, here's reason one, two, three, four, five, for you to believe that God does exist and that that God is specifically the Christian God. If we've done our job, we've shown the unbeliever that the question of God's existence makes a huge, huge difference. Okay, any questions about any of those points on objective meaning, value, or purpose? I'm just that good, huh? All right, let's go back to the top, uh, first page. So the criticism again. Okay, it says, uh, the, the unbeliever says, Christians are no better than anyone else. There are atheists who live a lot better, or live better than a lot of Christians. In fact, some of the worst people I know are Christians. If Christianity is true, then why doesn't it make people act better? And so the response is on the last page there. And it is uh, that this comment commits the ad hominem or against the man fallacy. That's a logical, informal fallacy which denies the truth of a belief by attacking the character of a person rather than the belief itself. For instance, say there was a doctor who discovered a cure for AIDS. 
But he had a nasty, crude temperament, like Brett Kavanaugh, apparently. That was a joke. Uh, it would be the same as saying, I don't believe the cure works because the doctor is a bad man. The truth of Christianity is not in any way diminished by the bad behavior of Christians. However, as most of you know, Christians are always under a microscope when interacting publicly. So the bad behavior heavily affects the way Christianity is perceived by outsiders, and it affects the strength of our testimony. We reflect God's love, and when people come to expect that reflection, any sinfulness can be misconstrued as God's imperfection. For this reason, it is important to remember what, that Paul said, Among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Ephesians 5.3 And I taught on this during my uh, lesson uh, on the Sunday of the conference. Um, the Christian evidences that I listed were uh, prophecy, miracles, and testimony. And testimony is that last thing that we need to focus on there. Is, uh, our testimony is under a microscope. Uh, we saw that uh, if you followed any of the comments that people were making after that huge uh, scandal with the Catholic priests in Pennsylvania, um, that reflects extremely poorly on Christianity and Christ. So we need to guard our reputations very, very hard. Uh, next week will be why does something exist rather than nothing? It's a very, very interesting question. Any final comments? I like how science always finds things to describe the truth of Christianity, like the, the death of the universe, which has already been described in Revelation. Mm. Yeah, so there's another. Uh, there's, there's, there's a subfield in cosmology called uh, cosmological eschatology. This is like a legitimate scientific field where they talk about what the end of the universe will look like. And one of the theories is really, really interesting. It's basically that um, the, from the edges of the universe, there can be complete destruction that could reach us and we would never even know it because it's traveling so quickly that it, it's not sending any information at such a rate that it would reach us before the destruction hits us. So basically you would never see it coming. <laughs> so it's like, you know, basically you're reading Revelation and all of these things just suddenly happen and scientists are now considering these same options from a purely atheistic perspective as legitimate scientific theories. Uh, it's just really, really funny. Yeah. 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 Um, and not everybody believes, not all the scientists believe that the universe is actually um, going to end in expansion. Some believe that it's going to slow down eventually and contract back. But even in that scenario, you've got the contracting back into the, you know, an infinitely dense state. Nothing can survive that either. So either way, big crunch or big expansion, it's, you know, it's not going to last. <laughs>